Hey everyone, and welcome to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Berry. This episode will be doing something a little different. Today, Kevin will be doing a Q&A session of strength and conditioning and soccer-related questions he got from his listeners today. I hope you guys enjoy. All right, Kevin, so it looks like we have about 10 questions here for you today. Um, We'll start with our first one, which is from Jordan, and Jordan asks, how do I meal prep? Uh, That's a good question. I think there's a couple of things that you should look at when meal prepping. So first one, uh, do you have the time to do it? Because it will take a couple hours a week. Um, So do you have the time? And then the second one, uh, probably more importantly, can you afford to meal prep um, and get as much food as you need for that meal prep ahead of time? Uh, if you can answer yes to those two, um, you're off to a good start. So um, some of the basics for meal prep, I would say get a list of three or four items for each food type that you have. So um, carbohydrate base, protein base, and a fat base. Um, kind of goes without saying, but ahead of time, if you need to, um, get the um, plastic Tupperware or the glass ones. If you can afford them, definitely recommend the glass ones. feels a little bit uh, better each day having those. Um, but when you're looking at the food itself, uh, look for a carbohydrate base. So for me, I would go potato, rice, or um, pasta. Again, pasta doesn't reheat too well, so potato, rice would be kind of my go-tos on the carbohydrate side. Um, on the protein side, then you're looking at chicken, turkey, beef. Again, fish doesn't reheat very well. And if you work in an office or around a lot of people, reheating might not be your best idea. And then lastly, you need some sort of fat um, in that meal. It can be something where you're cooking just with an oil um, or a spray. That's probably your best way to go. Um, or some of your higher fat beefs, um, things like that. So split the meal between a protein a carbohydrate and a fat and for meal prep on a schedule i like to go with like a sunday wednesday um so you can plan ahead of the week and then they're not frozen for weeks on end so that'd be some of my advice let me know how it goes so most of those foods that you just explained seem like pretty basic so it is then pretty easy to meal prep on like a basically like a like not expensive like a low budget yeah i think some of the cheaper ones um potatoes would be cheap rice uh buy a 10 pound bag or as big a bag as possible um those would be good ones um vegetables frozen is often cheaper than fresh there's not much difference in the nutrient value from there um carrots are probably your cheapest vegetable that's fresh um and then it would kind of go from there. But if you can get a list ahead of time, it will be cheaper to buy in bulk versus buying every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing, um, just to add for the meal prep, um, buy a couple of different spices as well. Um, so you can have the same foods and just change your spice every so often. Whether it's um, any of the hot ones, chili, paprika, um, from there, or if you're going lemon, garlic, things like that. Okay. Um, so we have our next question, which is from Dahi. Um, he asks, 
what way would you work reps in the gym during preseason? That would depend on how long your preseason is. Um, so if it's only a couple of days, it's probably not that important to plan it out. Um, but if you're looking at two, three, six-week preseason, um, you definitely want to have a plan in place. Um, look at where you want to be or what you perceive as your biggest weakness at the moment and then work towards um, improving from there. So if you think it's um, your strength, then you really need to work on. Um, that should be our priority in the gym. If you think it's um, power or speed, um, your gym program should probably reflect that. Um, the worst thing you can do is try and do everything in preseason because uh, you're going to get 50% of the results really from all those different programs. And one of the things if it's in your control and it's not under a coach is to uh, listen to your body. Um, not every session is going to feel the same. Some will feel harder than others, some easier than others. Um, but take a step back. Where do you want to be four, six weeks into your actual season and not your preseason? And then go from there. So let's use uh, one or two examples. So if your goal is um, you want to get stronger, pure and simple, if you think that's where you're lacking in the sport, um, keep your reps low, uh, two to five reps, your sets low to moderate, two to four sets, and then choose one to two big exercises each day, um, whether it's an upper body or a lower body. Take as much rest as you need so you're not turning into more fitness or conditioning. And then have two or three accessory movements. Um, during preseason, you don't want to be in there for an hour, or you know, ideally, you want to only be in there for about half an hour or so. Um, if you think you're coming into preseason, you're unfit, and uh, the solution might not be more running. You're probably going to get hurt, get shin splints, overuse injuries. Um, in that case, your best option is probably go with lower intensity um, work, so circuit based work with low rest periods. Um, body weight exercises and um, interval type training will probably be your best option. So um, see what your weakness is and then look to develop the plan around there. Um, now, follow-up question for that is I know that in when you're in season, obviously the workout is going to be different than preseason. Um, do you need to adjust like the couple weeks before your season starts? So when you do doing start doing your in-season workouts that you don't just completely drop off all the weight mm. or like work that you've done during that time of preseason? Yeah, you can hold certain qualities for longer than others. Like max strength, you can hold for 25, 35 days. So you don't have to train heavy like every day. Um, so in that case, you only need to train really heavy 90% or above effort um, once every three to five weeks. So you can plan out when you're not playing or who you think the worst team is going to be in your league and kind of plan from there. Um, but as you transition from preseason into in-season, um, you don't want to have a brand new program the first week of a new game or the first week of a season. Uh, because anytime you change your program, you might have potential for a little soreness. Um, so if you're looking at your first in-season training program, um, have that start your last week of preseason versus your first week of in-season um, just to give your body a chance to kind of uh, regenerate, recoup, and not lead into any soreness in that first game week. Yeah, I see that. Um, I know you've talked about even with your athletes um, where you work now, a lot of them don't really understand why 
they're not like maxing out or lifting heavy when they have like a day before a game or something like that. Um, and you know, I guess what, like you said, it's because they're going to be sore two days later rather than just that next day. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So our third question is from Billy. Um, Billy said, what are the best things to eat the morning before a game or the night? Oh, the morning before a game or the night before? That depends on the person and how well you're able to tolerate food. Uh, take it a step back and say, um, rather than before a game or the night before, try it in a training session first or practice. Um, you don't want to get any new ideas going into your first game, uh, just in case you don't react well and you're going to be in trouble from there. Um, the best things to eat um, the morning before a game. So um, let's assume the game's at 12 or 1 o'clock. Um, ideally, two, two and a half, up to four hours before. Um, you want to have a meal that's primarily carbohydrate. So anything um, porridge or oatmeal uh, will be a good option. Uh, bagels, bread, um, things like that. What you want to try and avoid as a big pitcher is anything that's high in fiber or fat. And it's going to take longer to digest in your body. And uh, you'll probably feel bloated and uh, not at your best. So carbohydrate options will be your best. Uh, protein from there and then some fat. So um, at the most basic level, especially if you don't want to wake up any earlier than you need to um, with a morning game, um, something as easy as a bagel with um, jam on it or peanut butter or um, any kind of nut butter um, would be a good option. So uh, carbohydrate would be your best option. Um, the night before a game, um, again, I wouldn't eat too late that you're going to bed with a full stomach. Uh, you might not be feeling the best when you wake up again. Um, to, it'll take some time to get used to your own body and what you need to do personally. And um, for me, I would eat at maybe six, seven o'clock. Um, the night before would have a pasta or rice based meal. Um, something as simple as, um, grilled chicken with pasta and maybe something on the side as well, where salad based or you're having, uh, beans or kind of anything goes, um, the night before. Um, the only thing you don't want to have, um, is anything very high in fats. Um, it's kind of common here with the pastas with cheeses and stuff like that. Probably want to avoid things like that. So could you eat like a low, what could you eat just like a, what if somebody has like a low carbohydrate meal? Uh, low carbohydrate meal is probably not ideal. Like I wouldn't recommend a salad the night before a game, for example. Okay. Um, with carbohydrate, you're trying to load glycogen to your body and that will increase, um, stores in the next day or two which will increase or maintain your performance in a game, uh, especially with soccer where it's going to be over an hour per game. So at 90 minutes, you're going to look to build in to some of those reserves. Um, so the question for me is that do you need to, uh, so not morning before after, or I mean um, the night before, but kind of I saw when you're younger, of course, and then I even saw some girls when I was in college during like halftime would have like something, like whether it was like fruit or they had like, I don't know, I can't remember now if it was like a pack of like candy or like fruit snacks or something, but like, is that something that 
an athlete should have, needs to have, or is it just kind of per person, per yeah. athlete, or? We used to do that growing up. Um, most people remember Jaffa yeah. cakes at halftime. Oh, yeah, we got um, orange slices here. Yeah, Jaffa <laughs> cakes were our go-to, especially if we were playing a bad team. We'd have like six or eight of them at a time um, at halftime. But um, for a training session, you don't need anything like that. Um, for a game, you can. Um will provide some value. You just have to be careful with how much you're having. Um, you don't need that much um, at halftime. Maybe 100, 200 calories is enough to get you by. Uh, you see a lot of professional teams now will have sports gels where they'll have those during the game even sometimes, especially if it goes extra time. Um, but if you're in Ireland, uh, two or three Jaffa gigs is plenty um, for halftime. You can also have uh, Powerade, Gatorade, Lucasade, um, depending on where you are, and um, about eight ounces, about two hundred and fifty milliliters, uh, will be enough for halftime just to kind of get you um, into that last forty-five, fifty minutes of the game. Okay. Um. Let's see. So our, we have another question um, from Ryan, um, and it is how to treat patellar tendonitis. Uh, this is a tough question, actually. I would say uh, the easiest answer is don't get patellar tendonitis in general. And uh, it's a little bit easier from there. Um, patellar tendonitis is an overuse injury. At the end of the day, um, inflammation of the tendon uh, just below your knee. And that, for most people, it can cause by um, really not doing enough during preseason and then getting into it from there. So not doing enough. Um, out of season and the other thing that some people mistake too is um, they'll train uh, out of season but they won't do a whole lot of change of direction or agility type stuff and that's where you'll load a lot more um, stress on tendon with change of direction and agility from there um, you can on occasion I've seen it a little bit not too much um, inflame uh, your patellar tendon through weightlifting movements as well. So things like lunges and front squats, if you're in trouble with those, uh, back off of those. Uh, but the easiest thing for patellar tendonitis is rice. So rest, ice, compression, elevation. And there is some research to back up, um, reduce pain. It's not a cure by any means, but it can numb the pain temporarily. It is um, eccentric based or isometric training. So that would be something like wall sits, lunge position holds, and exercises like that. So it um, sounds like it'd be contradictory, but those exercises have been shown to help. So lunge position hold where your knee's off the ground, uh, 10, 15 second hold, look to do two, three sets. Um, wall sits, 20 to 30 seconds, one to two sets, and those are some exercises that you can do um, outside of the weight room as well. You can do those at home or before training. And uh, one of the other ones I've seen in research is called a Spanish squat variation. Uh, kind of similar to a wall sit, but band support around your knees. Um, those should be some good options. But where possible, try and get out of training or look to limit your activity. And um, that should help in the longer term. Now, if I'm just like... A general you know athlete and you know everybody says rest but like how long 
would resting be like till you just do a movement again and it feels better or like someone who doesn't have a athletic trainer like personal trainer at that time to like figure out when you should be doing these movements again you can have a grade of tendonitis so like a one two or three uh three being like pain all the time um one and two i don't want to confuse but one's basically like um you have pain after the activity only um and then the i think grade two is where you have pain during the activity and after the activity um so that'll kind of tell you the severity of it if you're walking around day to day and you're having pain in your knees um you're going to need to take longer off um if it's something that's just kind of a niggle or something that's just started um short term uh you're just looking at a couple of days and try and get back to it um where possible too especially if you're running try and get on a softer surface um grass preferably after turf from there uh roads would be your worst option um when trying to treat uh, patellar tendonitis or even shin splints does it help to wear different shoes like if you are training and you're wearing like cleats or turfs would it be different if you wore like more like like a sneaker or something instead would that be useful yeah I or don't, does that make not make a difference i don't think it makes too much of a difference personally i think um rather than looking at your shoe type look at more of your arch because um if you do a flat feet or even high arches that can change um, how much stress you're putting through your feet and up through um, your knee joint as well. So, um, so not shoes, but maybe like an insert or like fixing that. Yeah. Inserts could be a good option for some people. It'll depend. Um, some of the lower level inserts, they're not expensive, but Hmm. um, at the higher end, they can cost one or 200. Um, But you know, if it's the difference of saving your season or not, Um, It could be a good option. Okay. All right. Um, So here we have a question from Aaron. Um, Aaron asks, what are some good, sweet, low-calorie options to have? Yeah, this is a good question because it actually reminded me of myself growing up. Um, What are some good, sweet, low-calorie options? So I think my favorite was um, meringues, which is sugar basically um meringues for dessert i'd have those with strawberries um some of the other ones um that i had even now i'll have from time to time uh summer drinks or mr freeze or freeze pops they have a million names what you call them Uh, i just call them freeze pops i don't know um (laughs) those are under 100 calories um easily um some of the other ones that might not be low calorie options but would be good to fit in around your day versus feasting at night. Um, something like Nutella in oatmeal or porridge, um, a tablespoon would be about 100 calories. That could be enough to get your chocolate fix in for the day. Um, so I, uh, I would say Nutella or any kind of chocolate spread um, in limited amounts. Um, you could even look at hot chocolate mix as well. If you're looking at some of the low sugar options and you just mix it with water, that's probably 50, 70 calories. Um, looking at stuff that's like under 100 calories a serving. Um, but my go-to will be meringues with some uh, fruit. What do you think about these? Um, I just actually passed in the store the other day. These um, certain like sweet packs that 
it's like a hundred calories and it's supposed to mimic like Swedish fish or like Sour Patch Kids, but they have a bunch of fiber in them and about like 40 to 50 carbohydrates per the pack. But like the whole pack is only a hundred calories. Yeah. I don't think the math works out there. If you look at how many carbohydrates are in it, multiplied by four to find the total calories. Um, the fiber one are foods with fiber. I don't see an issue there. In fact, a lot of people won't have enough fiber in their diet. Um, but again, if you're trying to work around the sport or any activity, uh, you might want to be careful about kind of what time of the day um, you're having some of those. Uh, okay, so um, our next question is from Kayla. Um, she said, is caffeine or coffee beneficial before games? Um, short answer is yes. Um, massive benefits, um, especially considering soccer, um, just with the game demands. Um, I do have some experience taking um, caffeine tablets. I, I don't drink coffee myself, but um, it can be beneficial. Again, kind of going back to the second, third question about what to eat the night before or or um, the morning of a game, you kind of have to know your body. So if you are trying anything caffeine or coffee-based, um, try it in training before you do it in games. Um, look to keep your caffeine content consistent um, if that is something you're doing. So don't bounce around too much with trying different types of coffees once you figure out what's for you and what works. Um, some of the research I've looked at says two to 300 milligrams of caffeine, depending on body weight, um, which is one caffeine tablet. Most caffeine tablets are like 200 milligrams. That would be my preferred way or go-to, um, just because you know how much you're getting. And then there's not many other ingredients along with it. Um, sometimes with coffee, um, it can be a little hit or miss. You're not really sure what the content is. Kind of a disclaimer though, or one thing you have to be careful about with caffeine, uh, especially if you're not used to it. It can kind of cause anxiety, jitters, and uh, just kind of a, a feeling like you're almost on the edge. Um, that might not be too helpful, especially when you need to hone in on some decision making or um, things like that. So um, you really have to be careful about how much you're getting. Um, the one thing about caffeine too, especially if you're not used to it, you will have, um, feeling like you're dehydrated or dry mouth, things like that. Um, so try it out and train them before you do it in games. Um, but your, your rest and heart rate will be increased. So you won't feel like a hundred percent rested as such, um, which feels a bit weird, but at the same time, um, you can perform a little bit better, um, as far as endurance goes. And even there is some research that shows like your max power, your max sprint speed will be increased based on a caffeine consumption as well. So for someone who doesn't really know that much about caffeine and athletes, but like, so it wouldn't, it increases your resting heart rate a little bit, but like, would it overall increase? Like, like if you're playing in a game and your heart rate is up to like 180 or something like that, it wouldn't like push that to like 200 or 210 or anything no, it's not going to be that significant okay. um and, and this is more for someone that um probably is not accustomed to regular caffeine consumption 
um, they will notice more of a change. But if it's someone that has a habitual uh, routine or habit, um, whether it's caffeine or coffee, um, they should still be able to get the benefits without some of the side effects. Okay. All right. Um, so Johnny, um, he says, how has 2020 changed the way you approach programming in 2021? Coach's question here. Um, I was just talking to um, a couple of staff members about this today, actually. Uh, I think for me, it's kind of taken a step back and realize in the weight room, um, everything doesn't need to be barbell or dumbbell based, um, especially when you're working with new people. Um, our younger athletes for the first time. Uh, I think there's a lot more range or a lot more um, availability long-term to program body weight movements. Uh, it doesn't have to be push-ups and squats. Um, can be variations from there, but um, 2020 kind of opened up um, new opportunities there as far as research, um, looking at exercises, um, training methods, and uh, we've actually found that a lot of people can progress um, without a weight room. I think the second part is more just kind of philosophical. Um, I used to always think that if, you, you know, most people that whatever reason they failed, um, you say, oh, that makes sense. You didn't have a gym or you couldn't afford the membership or you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that. Um, but we've actually seen a lot of people that came back and in their best uh, place ever, fitness-wise, strength-wise, and they really didn't get to a gym every day. Um, they were just committed to that long-term process. So um, that would be kind of the two big changes or two big thoughts I've had um, from this past year. Was there is there anything that you can like pinpoint that was the hardest thing to adjust to with um – having you know whether it's having athletes out in the gym or in the gym or even out on the field that you've kind of had to adjust with or has made your coaching more difficult um i think the perception that athletes are feel like they're too advanced for bodyweight training or plyometrics or any kind of variation that's not a max effort movement that i'm not going to get that much value from it and when I started working full-time in strength and condition, I kind of thought the same. I was like thinking, what's the point in doing a 20-minute training session? Um, I need an hour. I need to do eight exercises or 10 exercises or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're doing something, it's better than nothing. So um, that was kind of the mantra we tried to push forward. And it was effective for most people um, once they were able to try it. Um, they could see value in it. Um, we work specifically with um, a baseball team and um, they were advanced athletes, but they were like, oh, what's the point in Zoom? We're not going to get much value in our um, live body weight sessions we were doing. But um, we did ma manage to maintain a lot of uh, what they were building towards um, with just body weight. So. Okay. Um, our... Another question from Johnny. Um, he said, what would you consider good strength benchmarks for soccer players? Uh, this is a controversial one because a lot of people say you shouldn't squat, um, which is one of the main benchmarks for a lot of people for lower body strength. 
Um, good strength benchmarks for soccer players. Um, I would say when you're looking at uh, female athletes, if you're looking at a one rep max um, for back squat, for example, um, anything over 200 pounds is pretty good, which uh, about 90 kilogram. Uh, anything for men over 275 um, or 125 kilogram, um, those would be kind of the go-tos for me for lower body. Uh, you can look at weight as well um, and and try and work a ratio from there. Um, anything over uh, body weight for a female, definitely over body weight is good. Um, for on the men's side, anything over one and a half times body weight is good. Uh, I've seen some players get over two. And I do think your goalkeeper should be your strongest and um, most explosive player. So I would weigh kind of goalkeepers a little bit higher um, as a priority. Um, but when I'm looking at soccer players, I'll usually work towards um, some of the power numbers instead. So vertical jump, broad jump, uh, 20 meter or 20 yard sprint. Um, those would be some of my go-tos. Um, for strength benchmarks for upper body, um, it'll depend on the team or the coach, um, even between men and women. Um, a couple of programs I've been at, we've done max bench press for men just because probably doesn't add a whole lot of value, but it helps with team buy-in. So if they're into bench, then that will help with... Um, squat and things like that trying trying to get them to actually do it so um as far as women go um if you can do one pull up or more i think you're in a good spot as a female um we'll also do inverted row as well as a test uh, for max reps and sometimes push up as well um we'll look more towards relative strength tests so anything body weight based uh for upper body um our next question is from Justin. What injury prevention would you work on with um, a male soccer player compared to a female soccer player? Or are they different? Um, they, they are different. Um, female soccer players usually have more serious injuries, uh, especially ACLs. Um, so there is a couple of different protocols you can work towards. Um, FIFA 11 plus is one that's a warm up that's research backed. Um, so you can add that warm up into your daily training sessions and that does reduce the likelihood of injury um, across male and female players. And what you can do on the female side is to implement more jumps and plyometrics um, within the warm up as well. There's a couple of different uh, protocols for that. Uh, can't can't actually think of the acronym off the top of my head. Um, but there is specific jump protocols and plyometrics, lower body work that you can do um, for females during a warm-up. And then lastly, I would look at um, what injuries you've seen before. Um, if you are a strength and conditioning coach or what are the most typical ones. Um, for men, it's usually hamstrings, um, just with greater max speed, velocity, um, you'll see some hamstring stuff. So working on single leg strength and hamstring uh, strength 
is a big one. Um, and then female soccer players, you usually see um, some hip flexor issues. And then um, obviously the more serious one, uh, which you're trying to prevent or at least reduce the likely reduce the likelihood of is uh, ACL tears with female soccer players. Okay. This last question is from another Kevin. Um, this says, how much water should you drink in a day? And how do you know how much you need to drink after a game or a training session to keep yourself hydrated? Uh, that's a good question. Depends on the person. Um, the biggest thing you need to look at is uh, body weight. Um, there are some standards out there based on body weight for how much water you should have a day. Um, but it would depend if you're training inside or outside uh, time of year and um, a couple other factors from there, um, how long you're on the field each day, things like that. Um, as a generalization, um, somewhere around a gallon a day or three and a half liters a day will be good. Um, the second part of the question, um, how do you know how much um, after a game or a training session? Um, well, what you can do actually is weigh yourself before a game if possible and then weigh yourself immediately afterwards. Um, whatever the difference is from there, um, you actually have from lost fat. Um, that's a myth. Uh, it's going to be all water weight initially. So um, if you weigh yourself in pounds, say I'm 183 now and after a game I'm 180, uh, that three pound will be uh, three 16 ounce uh, bottles of water. So that would be an easy way to measure how much you need um, after a game. Now let's say this, the game or training session or whichever is like later at night and you're just not prepared to drink that much water. Um, does it make a difference whether you like make up for it the next day or does it not matter after that point? Or like, do you need to drink extra then the following day? You don't want to drink enough before a game? No, like after, if you say you weigh yourself and you say you have to drink so-and-so amount of water yeah but you don't drink it that night like could you could someone just be like uh oh, just like uh, do you need to make up for it the next day do it that night if possible because it's only going to compound and get worse um because most people when you wake up you're already dehydrated anyway um so now you're going to be not twice as dehydrated but um you're even more in debt um so you're gonna have to build more the second day um when I played in North Carolina in grad school, we had to be within two or three percent of our previous body weight for hydration. And if we were out of that, we weren't allowed to train. Um, so it, you should be within two percent of your normal body weight um, going into your next training session, next game. Okay. Um, all right. So that's all the questions that we have so far here today all right first live q a it's been fun we all should right. do this again soon appreciate you tuning in to listen thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the training ground podcast where we provide practical training takeaways for soccer players who are serious about improving their performance to make sure you don't miss our next episode subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform you can find show notes and more at kjbtraining.com. That's kjbtraining.com.
www.thetraining.com.